This is Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Hey, you've now tuned in to Not Another Church Podcast. Now, seriously, we uh, we are uh, in Not Another Church Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Tom, and today I have uh, Donna Huff, our children's minister here at North Lincoln Baptist Church, and Brian Goble, the worship minister. Um, when I say your name, you're supposed to say... Oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Hey. There you go. Yes. That, that was Donna, by the way. That was not Brian. Hi. <laughs> I'm Donna Huff. <laughs> wow. Shouldn't have done that. That was bad. Forever yeah. on tape. So bad. Forever on tape. <laughs> yes. Yes, we we definitely want that played Sunday morning. Yes, we need that kept in the editing process. So what we're planning on doing is for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, raising up our children and uh, just... Um, we talked about different ways to do that and kind of walk through that. And I think what we decided a couple of weeks ago was that what we're going to do is take today and talk about those uh, maybe birth to toddler years and the difficulties there and the joys there and, and working through that and where, where the struggles are among parents. The next week, take those toddler years uh, and then kind of move that way through for the next month or so. Just talk about child rearing. Uh, I would say of uh, pastoral questions that we get, um, my kid is doing X, Y, or Z. What do I do? Ah, is fairly common. And Very. so, so what we want to do is just kind of go over some of the questions that we've gotten in the past, uh, some, of the, some of the pain that uh, Donna and I have both lived through those years, and... Um, we we uh, hopefully we'll just help you out some and and I think that uh, as I look back and think back at the the years when my children were itty bitty um, it, that I would say is one of the the hardest t- phases of life and you know life goes in phases and uh, it's really easy for the enemy to get in your ear and say you're you're wasting your time everybody else is doing cool fun stuff and you're stuck <laughs> here in this house. Um, it's hard to go on dates with your spouse. It's, it's easy to, to get into a phase where you don't feel like, uh, you, you know who that person is, who's your spouse. You, you get out of touch because they, they're trying to hold the house down on one side and you're trying to hold down the house on the other. And, and I just want us to talk through some of the struggles at first and then talk about maybe some of the biblical principles. Uh, I will say that, uh, you know, I heard when my kids were itty bitties that children, uh, are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb a reward. And typically when someone told me that, I really wanted to punch them square in the face. Because <laughs> it would be a bad day, right? Yes. <laughs> it never they, fails. <laughs> they, they, they would say that as, as I'm covered in fecal matter yeah. and vomit. <laughs> and they'd go, well, don't forget that children are heritage from the Lord. And I'd be like, well, why don't you come over and get this poopy kid then? <laughs> well, I did, a, I did a really quick um, sort of impromptu um survey this afternoon all of my girlfriends I started texting like the ones we've got some at church here that they're a good bit younger than me they're in the early child rearing years I've got some who are my age and my kids are all in the teen to Noah's turned our, our my oldest child is now 20 so he's in his early 20s and um so I sent out text and just asked them what were your primary what do you remember from the child rearing years when they were little What's the one thing, emotion, attitude thing that stands out to you, A, in your marriage, and B, in your parenting? 
And without fail, every one of them came back that gave me an answer. Every one of them came back and said in the the early years, the things that they felt was some version of the word overwhelmed and exhausted. Oh, oh, there is no feeling like, with especially with that first child, when the 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 nurse wheels you out to your car and they, the nurse goes and checks the car seat to make sure that it's just right and they put the baby in the car and you get in with uh, I got in the car Ann's in the pastor side and we are in that parking lot and it just hits you these people don't know what they've done giving this child to me. <laughs> my Brian, my moment like that was the first night home, and you're giving them the first time you give them a bath. Maybe I mean because it's not the first night, but you know, usually within that first week you give them a bath. And you know, I gave the child a bath, and then I'm like, and I don't know why it hit that night, but I'm looking at this kid, this slippy little kid that's in the water, and I'm looking at this kid, and I'm like. Okay, now what? <laughs> you know, I, I bathed them. They're ready for bed. They're still crying. I've fed them. You know, okay, mom, where are you? you exactly. Know? <laughs> oh, I'm the mom. Ah, you know. Yeah, that, somebody made a really bad mistake letting me take this child home. And we, uh, we're, the city that we lived in at the time, there were two or three news stories where, like, a parent left their child in the car oh, God. or yeah. a parent left the car seat on top of the car and drove off. And so Anne had this horror that she was going to do something stupid and hurt her child. And uh, I didn't really struggle with that, but I just was like, this is a, this is a terrible mistake. I'm, I'm not ready to adult yet. I'm, I, I'm not sure how this whole marriage thing is going to work out, and and so maybe this was a this was a problem here. We shouldn't be doing this, and so I would say, as Ann and I have talked about that time in her life, if there could be one word that would cover up, I think for her it would have been loneliness. As weird as that oh, sounds, oh yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, first a primary for me would be that overwhelmed and exhausted, but very quickly sliding in in third place would be lonely. I felt like I stayed at home. I now it was a great honor to get to do so for. Uh, I think it was a little over eight years that I got to stay home when the kids were little. But, um, you know, and that put all the burden on Ben, and I felt the burden of placing that on him. But at the same time, I got to be the one there to to be with the kids. I saw everything, did everything, you know. But I felt like I lost me somehow or another in the process. And I actually think that that's more uh, secular language than it is um, a Christian biblical view. What I think was happening was that I was at home alone. And I'm having to set up routines, which we know are really good for kids, but that includes nap time routines. They go to their same bed with their same blankie or stuffed animal or whatever it is that brings them comfort. You're putting them in the same place, but that means that everything we did had to revolve around nap time. You know, there was no more jumping in the car and running to the store when I wanted to cook a particular thing for supper or, you know, I couldn't even go... um, those days when you ran errands and not everybody had drive throughs So you go to the bank, the pharmacy, the dry cleaners, you know, and you go through all these places and you're hitting stop and stop and stop and stop and having to get out, take that car seat, pumpkin seat, kid, diaper bag. You have to carry everything in everywhere you go was just so much and so much to do. It was so different. But I think... Um, Looking back at that, I probably could have reached out a little bit more. I I could have been better at that. But at the same time, all of my friends were either starting careers and jobs or starting their own families. So everybody is, you know, knee deep into these really big moments in life where, you know, they're starting out what they want to do, finishing up college, 
starting families and kids, and then I'm sitting around at home with kid, you know, these little bitty things with nobody to talk to. Right, right. And I, I think that I heard a comedian say that we'll be there in 10 minutes is now removed from your vocabulary. You're not oh, going yeah, anywhere. No. <laughs> I, I can. I actually remember the year before we had kids going to the beach and laughing at these parents who are walking across with the, the, right with all of the accoutrement, you know, <laughs> yes. they've got the, they got the and chairs and la- the floaties and the you know. la- laughing at those people as, as Ann and I walk across the street with, you know, uh, a little bag with some, some sunscreen. Oh, sunscreen in it and we're, and a towel <laughs> and, a and we're towel. good. Yes. And, and then, you know, the next year now I'm that guy, I've got like a buggy with stuff in it <laughs> yes. and the kids eating sand and you're, why, why are we here again? What, what, why is this? And that ends up being a lot of you. You you are so excited about getting out and doing something as a family. You load all of this stuff up. You get to the event, and the child throws up, or and you pack up and go home. And you pack up and go home. It's just yeah. not worth the trouble. And so you do feel cut off. Um, Even with church, I remember sitting in church service and Ben was working a a, a rotating shift where he would go from one to the other. So a lot of times, more often than not, I was by myself sitting at church and I would think what a waste of makeup and hair products (laughs) to even have tried to get ready to go sit in church. And I end up, you know, downstairs, either nursing a baby, going home because somebody threw up. You know, I cannot tell you the number of times that I felt that during that time. And you know, that's I had forgotten about the whole nursing thing of pulling over on the side of the road and hiding in a, in bathrooms. Um, in fact, that that's the reason why uh, w- when I found out that here at North Glencoe we had a lady that was having to nurse her child in the bathroom. All of that came reminded me. I like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to give people a place um, so that they can at least in some kind of comfort. Uh, have that and and so and on a side note we do have a crying room a room for nursing oh, a place that's hidden in like in the back corner in kid city we have uh, tried to give some instructions how to get to it but if you're ever here with us please grab one of us and we'll be glad to show you a subtle commercial <laughs> well but you know all of this that we've talked about and all of this that we're seeing when we're talking about uh, overwhelming exhausting i think a lot of this has to do with that in- internal struggle that we go through because we're having to release the idea of us being the cool 20 somethings or you know whatever age it is that you have that first child you're you know i know that some have them very early some a little bit later but we have this idea that we're free to come and go we kind of we're the cool hip people that are you know having fun on the weekends and having friends over and we're doing the stuff and going to the places and attending the concerts and we have to let go of a lot of that and that selflessness that is required to be to be a parent and to be a good stable loving parent is huge and I don't think we talk about that before the baby comes enough because we're all so excited to have that that pregnancy that um that that display of our love, you know, for one another comes along and then they suck the life out of you in some ways. Now you have the days where they, you know, you look at them and you know that this is what God made me to do. This is what God made me to be. I get to be your mom. But that transition process from letting go of what I had an idea or expectation of into what it is that it requires when I'm, you know, the We've all, we all know the scripture out of Proverbs where it's, you know, train up a child the way they should go. But the process of training up a child means 24-7. 
Yes, that and that's part part of the exhaustion comes from the fact that it's never over. You you, you don't get weekends off, do you? You don't get weekends <laughs> no. off, and there and when you do schedule something, you know you on a, a, a night with the wife that that things are you've got a plan. It's so easy for them to be running a fever because they're teething. To for uh, we we get a cold, we get and and so th- they own you. Yeah, and. and that's just with one child. Some of us were stupid enough to where after that first little ugly E.T. looking that's not true. squirmy. We all know that's not true. That's his perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Once it gets to a point to where it can walk around and has some level of independence, you have another one. <laughs> and I remember we, we've had multiple points in our lives where so we had. we talk about that quiver being full? Yes, <laughs> filling that quiver up. We, where we had three in diapers. Mm-hmm. So you have you don't have a diaper bag, you have a diaper kit mm-hmm. that you're walking around with and and you have multiple seasonal clothes, multiple changes of levels of everything. <laughs> my my children, my youngest is now 12, going on 35, and this is really the first time in our lives when we haven't had tubs in in the attic or someplace that's labeled Same, we finally got rid of the tubs. The tubs with like <laughs> 11 girl um, winter uh, kind of tubs. <laughs> 3T, 4T girl, you know, or no, my house, it was all boy, but yeah. So, yeah, and so we, we ended up with this weird collection of clothes that, and even now with some of my kids don't didn't want to get rid of, we, we recently went through and, and took some sea bags and got rid of clothes. And the kids were like, oh, I remember. And it's like, we're not keeping that. <laughs> not just because it has sentimental attachment. No. It's got stains <laughs> all over it. Yeah. Um, so when you get multiple kids, it, it gets even deeper to where they own every aspect of your life. Yeah. And so you would think that most divorces occur at different phases of life. But statistically, what we find is that most divorces right now in the United States happen when the couple is in their early 50s and that empty nester sets in because a mom and dad look across the room at each other and they go, who who are you? Yeah. Because we, those kids, even for believers, we're investing so much in our kids. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, and since we had five, uh, there was always that tag team of, okay, I'm going to take the littles and go to the park. Yes. You're going to take these girls and go to, you drop her off at softball practice, then take her to, to basketball practice. I'm going to watch the littles and then take William to T-ball. If I swing through town, I can pick up what we need from the grocery store and be back to pick up the one that's at softball. If you'll grab the one from volleyball exactly. or dance. or I know. mean, it was like every day became like a troop movement where we sat there with these whiteboard graphs of, of now you can't be late to do this because <laughs> that coach yeah. is, and then this coach over here, is going to keep them long. You know he's going to talk afterwards. So you got to don't worry about getting there. And so, do you remember the movie RV with Robin Williams in it? Yes. They get in the RV and they go across. Well, they meet this other kind of hippie family that's out in um, is her name Chenoweth? I think she's an actress. Anyway, they meet this other kind of hippie, cool people traveling in RV. They live. They homeschool their kids. They live in the RV year round. Well, they start exchanging stories about family life. Well, the uh, Robin Williams and his wife are telling them they're talking about the how they've lost one another because it's caring for aging parents, caring for teenagers and older kids. And then the hippie family's like, "Oh no, we don't experience any of that. We just live." And I'm like, and and. 
in the movie, in the moment, they kind of made it seem like we should all actually just kind of live the hippie life. But the truth is, is that we do have aging parents. We do have those moments where somebody has to go and take the kids to volleyball and somebody has to take them to dance and somebody's picking them up and, you know, the skates don't fit or the guitar is, you know, the strings have to be redone before his practice on our lesson on Thursday. You know, they're all of that. That is real life. And you actually have to be organized. And for those who are not naturally organized, some of that is very hard. It, it pushes. There were parts of my life that I would prefer we just kind of wing it, you know, and go by the seat of our pants. But it, in truth, it doesn't work. If you do that, then you don't. So that whole selfless parenting thing stretches every one of us in so many ways because those who like their house especially clean I was talking to some of my girlfriends a little earlier and they you know they I'm stressed if my house is not clean and I'm like how do you have a clean house with kids and the answer to that is most of the time you cannot or do not you know and when we first had kids I made the mistake of being I, I really like old things and so we would have in the living room you know not like nice furniture for this right. or I would have restored this piece and I quickly had to learn that that's not possible with kids because <laughs> our furniture was heavy down for a very long time. <laughs> we 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 learned that uh, we had a, a lazy boy that somebody had had given us or that had a little bitty tear in it. And it literally took about a month before I caught Molly up to her shoulder with her arm in there while she's watching TV. Distracted. They picked at it picked until at they it. get it open. Yeah. So, so, which leads us to the next aspect of it is while that child is demanding all of your time and all of your energy, they're, all of those things that we talked about with dance and basketball and football and t-ball also has their hand out for money. Mm-hmm. And so at the same time, uh, my ability to go spend money on myself or on my spouse has been taken away from me. At least un- unless you're independently wealthy, kids are expensive and when you have five kids, when some coach has the gall to say, well, it's just $10, you want to <laughs> slap them. just $10. First of all, this is the third time you've just $10 <laughs> me. And second of all, I got five kids that are $10. So we're, 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 we're talking big bucks at this point. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're adding up quick. And quick. so the financial strain means that, you know, for me, I was always looking for opportunities for overtime. I'm always trying to do stuff, which is making Ann be more alone alone mm-hmm. because while she is at home with three kids writing on the wall, I'm off in New York trying to get as, make as much money as humanly possible. And so what we re- have joked about the time when I came home from work, it, and I was exhausted. I, at that particular time, I was working a job where I flew out Monday morning at like 4 o'clock I worked in New York from Monday to Thursday, took the midnight flight home on Thursday. And for some reason, that had gotten bumped out, and it was Friday morning when I got home. I drive up to the house and walk in the door, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm home. I'm home. (laughs) And I walk in the door, and I get handed a child, and maybe see you later as she goes. And we talked about that, and she goes, I need to talk to a human being. Yeah. That, that can speak English and form a sentence. And so these children that you made are now yours while I go try to regain some sense of normalcy and, and I'm meeting somebody at Starbucks or whatever. And it's easy for both of those spouses. Well, the husband's focused on making the money or the wife's focused on making the money. Somebody's got to be watching those youngins that you, you, you grow apart. And so all of those struggles are real, um, so let's take a little bit of time and talk about some of the joys 
Uh, we've talked about the the negative side. Now, I, I want to throw in here before we jump off of, and I know this is so. Still let's talk a, about more negative. Yeah, sorry, but I just want to point out this, and because this was a very real part uh, aspect of my marriage, and um, as I was, you know, like I said, I was polling. I, I hit about tried to hit about ten different women today, and as I was polling them and talking to them, one of the very real things that they felt like was is or was depending on where they what stage they are in marriage was the um lack of intimacy now parents you may want to be careful as we discuss this portion with who's listening but the lack of not just um relational intimacy knowing one another communicating talking about our jobs careers days feelings but also the lack of like um it, it was stated by one person that said her husband you know said we've gone a week and you haven't touched me not a hug, not a peck, a quick kiss, not a, um, you know, you hadn't held my hand. You know, we haven't even physically touched one another. And that's such an important part of the marriage. But for women, I mean, I can speak on this from the women's side. You know, we spend all day, especially if you're a stay-at-home mom, but even if you're not, even if you've been at work all day and you come home at 4 or 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the evening and you're trying to get supper done and you've got a little one attached to this leg and you're holding the baby in this arm and you're stirring the spaghetti or, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to put together to because you got to have a healthy meal and you got to have your house clean and you got to load the dishwasher when you're done so that by the next day it's ready to go again because all of this process repeats. And you got to get your pearls on and everything. You got to have your coming. pearls on because your husband will be home shortly, so everything needs to be kind and quiet and, and let your father walk in and read his paper, That's you right. know, after he's been at work all day. Um, but all of that happens in the fact that what happens is that we lose that, you know, we've fallen in love with this person we have dated and we have become we got married and we've become intimate and all of this is like oh yay you know all the good stuff that god plans for marriage and then bam these kids come along and they are taking uh, so much out of you now they give so much to you every time we say that i want to point out that there is an equal and opposite or even not even equal but even more so that they enrich your lives <clears throat> but it can be difficult in the marriage because it's so hard for a husband to be gone all day. He comes home and say, like, um, you're a stay-at-home mom, and you've spent all day wrestling children, nursing them, taking care of them, changing diapers. You've been touched until your touch quota is done. But husband is in need of your your also a physical affection and attention to him, and it's difficult. And I don't think we talk about that very much in marriage. Nobody told me that part. And I didn't have many people in my life who would speak into it and go, set aside some time. Be very deliberate in that. Be intentional. And I think for me, um, I started trying to listen to some of the programs like Family Life Today or Focus on the Family, some of those Christian, you know, family-focused things. And it would challenge me at times when I didn't want to be. Um, Even the, you know, okay, then you need to set set aside time for your husband and you've got to give up your own need to be quiet and alone. Like when the kids all, you get all the kids in bed, at, you know, everybody's in bed tucked away safely, let's just say by 8.30, you know, depending on which home you're in, but at that, an average time, then I want to sit quietly with nobody needing me, nobody needs a drink, a sippy cup, a diaper, a, you know, a snack, nothing. Nobody needs me, and I just wanted to sit there and just, you know, decompress. Well, that was when my husband needed me, and I remember hearing programs that about, you know, that would challenge you as a young mom to say, I will be deliberate in giving him my time and attention and affection. And, God, I remember, you know, that was just, 
she's giving me these kids and now I got to give, you know, and I have to just keep giving and somebody else needs something all the time, you know. And Ben was very good about giving me a chance to get away when he realized it. You know, I mean, he didn't do it perfectly. But, you know, that push and pull that's required from you when you've gone from, you know, the Cinderella wedding and you're riding off in the carriage or the car and you have the honeymoon and everything's great and a few years later you find yourself in that place where everybody needs something from you and there's no more you, you feel like, in that, or at least from a woman's perspective. I have heard this from many people and friends over the years. I would say in marriage counseling that that is the beginning of a lot of marriage issues. And ultimately it comes down to really if you're not communicating an easy way to for feelings to be hurt, for misunderstandings to be in place, because you have these expectations where, um, the like you said, the hu- husband's at, at work and and he's thinking, all right, so well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get home. I will. I'm going to be the perfect husband. I'm going to help put get the kids in bed by eight o'clock. We're we're going to maybe watch a little TV and then throw I some very wide on candle, and a little something something <laughs> go, uh, happening here. Yes. Well. That's his expectation, and the wife's expectation is these kids are about to drive me crazy. There's underwear hanging from the ceiling, and there's somebody colored on the wall. Right there's some somebody's ripped up some carpet. We've got we've got (laughs) mayhem, and when the husband gets home, those expectations crash. Or the, the, the mom has been at work all day, too, and she went and picked the kid up from daycare and found out that their kid bit somebody and, uh, you know, those expectations of what, where needs are, if you're not communicating with each other and saying to each other, well, I was thinking maybe we might light a candle, and the, forgetting that, and we're going to talk about this in a few months as we talk about marriage, men and women when it comes to that intimacy side, function very differently in that um, I heard somebody put it this way, that men are microwaves and women are, are crockpots. <laughs> and so I- yeah. if if uh, I've had a rough day and I walk in the door and my wife says, hey, what do you think about a little, little, throwing a little Barry White on here? I'm just like, bam, I'm on. I mean, that's... That does not work that way with women. And that does, <laughs> if she's had a bad day and her boss yelled at her, and, and like I said, the kid got in trouble when they got to day, when she picked him up from daycare, or that day the kids have been, been hell on wheels, um, that's not going to change on a dime. Mm-mm. That's not going to be... Throwing the right music on and lighting the light candle is not going to change anything. There's got there, you're going to have to love her. And, and we tell couples a lot that the difference between intimacy and sex are it's about like the difference between a hot dog and a warm puppy. They're similar words, but they mean totally different. different things. Yeah. And intimacy may mean for your wife that night that what you do is take the kids and let her sit in a bathtub by herself. Mm-hmm. Intimacy may mean that now, and I will tell you that if you meet her where she is and meet those needs, that that has some payoff. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but but you've got to both parties have to come into this recognizing that we look at men and women look at life totally differently. And 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 both of those, both sides of that, it requires selfless behavior. You have to start to learn to give your wife what she needs. A wife has to learn to give her husband 
what he needs, which means knowing your spouse, loving your spouse, seeing what it is that they most react to. I mean, I would recommend and think, I, I, I know it's been kind of overutilized, but the five love languages is a good place to start just to get an idea of, okay, what speaks to my husband's heart or what, what makes my wife feel like I love her. Now, it should not be the be all and end all of how you explore knowing your spouse. But um, it, I think it's a really good place to, you know, kind of quick and easy. They have an online um, quick survey that you can, as far as I know, it's still there. You can do it and kind of plug in some answers and go, oh, yeah, okay, I see that. But it begins to open up your eyes to see how to love them selflessly. I had a conversation um, one of the uh, one of my regular volunteers in the back has started a new relationship, and she is crazy head over heels in love. It's so sweet to watch it and see it happening in her life, and we're all thrilled to death for her. But as we're talking about the honeymoon period of a relationship, and you know, you got all these married women here standing around or chit chatting with her, and we're talking about you know that first year to two years, depending on how long it lasts for you. There's that honeymoon phase, and then it grows into something else. And she was like, "Oh, I don't want that to end." And I was like, "Now wait a minute." Let's not forget and talk about the depth that comes when those two become one and that love is better, deeper, and richer through having gone through problems, pain, disappointments, financial struggles, and coming out of each of those things together, that it's still he and I and we are one and we're out in a battle against the world. Absolutely. But we're we're losing children and getting into marriage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's all right. Um, so let's talk about some of the, the joys. I, I shared the other day about when uh, on the podcast when I was out walking around with Emily and she she saw the bee and buzzed. Um, and you got onto me for saying that uh, at that point I recognized that she was smarter than the dog. Um, <laughs> yes. I will say one of the things that um, as a dad, that that is a it was a real joy because I had three, uh, two girls before I had had a son, and so I really went into parenting not having a flipping clue what to do. Um, it, it was all of those sweet moments where my kids looked at me for their their sense of of pride and and my kids did this thing where they would put on shows now this is a girl thing i know we talked about this yes uh, my, yeah, we they, never put on shows at they my would house. put on shows they had put bunk beds and house? they no. they would hang sheets up and they would argue you know about about <laughs> okay show. whose turn it was to, to be the the guy and the girl and they would give us tickets like at three o'clock in the afternoon we'd get tickets here's your ticket for the show tonight and i'd be like oh goody the show um, so how long is the show yes. kind of thing? Let's limit the show to less than an hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, but that just that look on their face of they wanted Anne and I to make them feel, they were looking to us to get their sense of, uh, we're loved, we're appreciated, we're cared for. Uh, that, that is a, a rich, special feeling that, that I don't think I'd ever had before, that somebody looked to me, I, and I, I've heard other people say it differently, but I, I, there's a thousand different titles that people have called me in my life. You know, I'm Pastor Tom, I'm this, I'm that. There's only five people who have the right to call me daddy, mm-hmm. and that, that is a cool thing that um, there's, there's no describing it, that you're their defender, you're their, you feed them um, and you are building them as who they are. I've even, uh, when you're, which we aren't to this phase of life yet, when your kids get to be teenagers, they kind of turn back a- at you. And one of my kids was saying, 
um, they were upset because someone was saying that they a skill that they had that they had gotten from Ann or I, and this kid was like, it's not fair because I earned the right to do this. And I said, everything you have, you got from Ann or I, yes. down to your genetic material. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, um, it makes me think of um, listening, how important it is to listen to your children. And you're talking about them looking to you for that affirmation. And, I, and we will probably revisit this verse in so many ways over the next um, few podcasts. But that training up your child, that is training them in every way. You're training them how to cope with hard emotions. You're training them how to cope when life is painful and disappointments. And that starts when they're tiny and they don't get the toy they want or the candy that they want. Or they don't, they're tired and whiny and you don't give in to that. You make them nap. You know, you don't let them decide about when they're going to nap or not when you know they're exhausted. Because you're the parent and you see the bigger picture. The, the children don't know when they're tiny like that, but, but listening to them, learning their behavior. I remember, you know, when the kids start the babbling and I could tell you what they're saying. They could babble away, and I could give a whole, like, sentence or two. I'm like, well, they want their sippy cup with apple juice in it from the refrigerator that Mommy put it in earlier. And I remember, you know, there would be other people who are not with them all the time would be like, what part of that? I didn't understand any of it. But that comes from that time, that investing of your time, and that you're training them in every way, and you're teaching them that they can look to you that when they're struggling, you know, they start learning that as a baby. And we think that um, we know of adoptions that have happened, um, you know, when children are two or three years old. And we tend to think that, well, that young, they don't have any trouble from that. But there's still trauma in that child's life Um, from those very early years when they cried and nobody answered from the times that. But that training up of a child starts from birth with them, even in the womb. But it's we know that that moment they're set in your arms, then everything that they need, you provide for or care for, you're there, you love them. I'm not saying there's not a time to let them cry and go get a shower. You know, <laughs> that's not what we're driving at. But the idea is that we are constantly that fulfillment that it gives us as we see them develop each one of those skills when one day they're finally in there, you know, getting their own drink or snack or, you know, they've toddled into the kitchen and, you know, spoke a full sentence and you're like, wow. Yeah, it's all those little milestones. Yeah. And I will say that one of the coolest things that that we also experienced was um, how different they are and how quickly, yeah, how quickly that little personality Mm -hmm. comes out. Um, I've joked that Emily, uh, my my oldest, who's twenty three now, um, she she was very very much so a people pleaser. She was very much so. I I, I she's twenty three, and I guarantee you that I can look across the room and make her cry. Um, yeah, she, she ju- that's just who she was. Well, we had Molly, my my second child, and Molly. Uh, if I across the room give her a dirty look, she's going to give me a dirty look back. <laughs> She's your child, isn't she? <laughs> She's going to bow back. Um, and I remember her being non-communicative. She was little bitty. And I'm like, hey, this is a different beast that we got here. Yeah. Uh, How did I have such different people? And they're from the same parents in the same home, you know. Yes. I mean, each one of our kids is so, was so, so different and so quickly, and that's kind of, that's really neat to see them develop their own personalities, their own likes and dislikes. 
Now, when they got a little bit older and those likes and dislikes clashed with each other, that wasn't as neat. Uh, <laughs> siblings, so will, well, siblings will fight. I'm just telling you. That's going to happen. We'll talk more about that as we get into toddlerhood. Yes. Um, but when they're little bitty, even when they're teeny tiny, you, you get to see their personalities and their the way that, that they come across their likes and dislikes. And that is really the cool. in a face of a child over the tiniest little things, a frog, a flower. You know, when you take them outside and, you know, you go to the zoo. Like I remember going to the zoo and it, we had, I hadn't been since I was a child. And I go back in and I was with my kids and they're like, <gasps> wow. And just that, I mean, I, you know, that my cup runneth over really fits in those moments when you begin to see them experience the world and see the beauty of it and the good things and the creativity of our Savior and uh, just to watch them enjoy each of those moments. I mean, you know, we try to carry the kids from the church and we go into the little parakeet enclosure in our Birmingham Zoo, which is the closest zoo for us um, good size zoo and you go in the parakeet enclosure and you buy little cups of the food for the parakeets and the little kids every time they go in there to see the colors of the birds and then the birds to land on them and, and to take the water and then of course there's inevitably sometimes there's a kid that gets uh, the bathroom used on them by the bird but it's so fun and it's so funny and to go in and watch them and it's the craziest thing but to see them just living and enjoying life and enjoying the creation that God made for them. The the times when um, Anne would let the kids uh, go go out and play in the rain, or yeah. uh, I, I remember we had a snow when we lived in North Carolina, and all of the kids were bigger except Ruthie, and so all the kids were out playing in the snow and doing stuff, and Ruthie was at the door. Yeah, there's always the little one. The little one, she's <laughs> yeah. crying. In fact, we have a pit, my parents in their house have a picture of Ruthie boohooing because we wouldn't let her out. Well, we finally did let her out, and about 30 seconds after she's out, she's crying to go back in because yes. it's cold. But for, for a little bit of time, as she's trying to catch snowflakes because yeah. this is like such a, what what is this? When you don't stop them from playing in the mud. Yes. You know, when you let them go out and you hand them, you know, here what, take an old plastic cup and a, a tin pan or something and go make mud pots, you know. And you, and you watch them get out and get to do, do those fun things, you know. It, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing thing as a parent, you know. And when you see you or your spouse in them, you see, you know, like he's got my nose or my granddaddy's hair or, you know, whatever it is. When you're looking at that child and seeing all of these things that are just passed down and um, how amazing that is as they're watching that and they, you know, you look at each one of them and, you know, this one has so-and-so's eyes and this one has so-and-so's hair and this one has um, my uh, grandmother's personality in some way, like they're the live wire of the group or, you know, whatever it may be. And it's, um, I mean, it's 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 an amazing moment. There are a lot few, of those. few things in my life that have been better discipleship tools used by the Holy Spirit than my own children in that, I can not only can I see my nose and and eyebrows, uh, I can see my own sin tendencies, and I I I know there's been a meme that's floated around this this like that, but I can remember having this conversation. Uh, as I said, Molly was my spunky child uh, of the the two oldest, 
and we had for the 55th time molly had gone up and smacked emily in the face and then said sorry and so i'm <laughs> sitting down with her and i'm like child you cannot just do what you want to do turn around and say i'm sorry and think that it's okay you can't do that and immediately the holy spirit kind of thumped me in the back of the head and said really biggin so how long have you struggled with anger how long have you struggled with lust? How long have you? And I, I literally had to walk away because it was just like a wave of conviction hit me of, well, that's how you've lived your Christian life for the last 30 years. They're big shooter. So seeing my own attitudes, my own, uh, in fact, I would say that one of the most annoying things that my kids do is act like me. You fight most with the parent you're most like. And, and recognizing that and and I uh, one of my children I know is tired of hearing I know what you're thinking I can read your mind because you have the same mind I do so right now you're thinking you wish I would shut up and stop talking to you yes. <laughs> one of my kids one of my three is his mother made over in a lot of ways you know and Ben, will, uh, ben has his own set of jokes about that, you know. But I can look at him and I go, there is no one in this house that understands you better at this moment than me. But you're going to shut up and you're <laughs> going to do what you've been told, you know. But, you know, and you bring up a good point here. It kind of leads us to the point of discipleship. And I want to throw out here some practical things for um, parents as you're discipling. It starts when they're little. You're training them in every way from the time that they are little. Just the fact that you go to church. They understand that you're part of a body, you're part of a membership, and that you have, you're going to hear God's word talked about, you're going to sing his praises, you're going to collectively pray together. Those are discipleship moments. And then we have this visual image that during the week when I'm discipling my kids, we're all going to sit around the table, everybody's going to be well behaved, and we're going to read God's word, and we're going to be somber and take it seriously, which we are, but sometimes when the kids are little, that means that, um, you know, they're turning flips on the couch. It may mean that you're reading what you've read for your devotion that day or for your study. You're just reading it out loud. It may mean um, one of the best places that, and I've said it before in some of our previous things, the car. You've got a captive audience. You turn the radio off and you take a few minutes, just talk. And it may be, and, and it, this helps, this is it, it can be more directional as they get older because they can communicate better with you. But if you're listening to praise music versus listening to, um, I mean, there's some stuff out there that, you know, we all know we don't need to listen to. The messages of some of the music that's outside of uh, what we call Christian music, maybe even some of the Christian music, we have to be careful. But your kids are watching your example in every way in what you do, how you emotionally cope with someone you disagree with in the church, how you deal with someone that, you know, maybe gets under your skin a little bit or is an irritant. Your kids are watching that from the time you're very little because you get in the car and you immediately start with your spouse telling them, well, so-and-so said such-and-such, and such, blah, blah, you know, at four they're catching that. Oh, absolutely. You know. And, and I think before we move on, I think it's important to start that habit, that rhythm of bringing your kids to church, involving them in church early, because you're teaching them what's important. And one of the things that I see more and more prevalent is that parents allow athletics and activities to, to well, we're just going to miss this Sunday. And they let that travel ball or whatever pull them out of church. You've just taught your kids 
that their wants are more important than their commitment to God. And and I would beg you, I would implore, I would, and I'm not saying come to this church. I, I don't care. Take your kids to church and battle back. Uh, I've had, before I was a pastor, I had conversations with coaches that said, well, you know what? She's not going to be here because that's, uh, and you know that we do church then. And so, uh, well, we're just doing it this one time. Well, this one time, we're not going to be here because this sport is not my God. And it's hard as a parent because your kids get the peer pressure from the kids. You know that they're going to have all the questions that are going to be asked. The kids are going to say something to them. The coach may not play them. There may be things that happen. There may be a subtle um, disapproval from the coach that carries over to the child that you've signed up to play a sport or an event or dance or gymnastics or um, uh, uh, you know, music lessons or band or whatever it is that the kid is involved in, it can bleed over. And it usually happens in small, subtle increments, just like most things in our life. As we start to veer away or, or lose some of our commitment to following after and letting him be Lord of all parts of our lives, it usually happens in small incremental ways, just this one practice. Or we're going to just travel this one weekend for a tournament that we've been wanting to participate in. Or, you know, and it happens in small ways. And I'm I am not going to be the one that's going to get on to you for missing one time. I, I don't have issues with that, but you just have to be careful because so quickly it becomes, well, once a month then. And then once a month becomes, well, just during the spring, we're going to be out from church for six months. And you've taught your kids so many things about prioritizing in that situation. And, and I mean, real recognize that I, I or Donna or or Brian, none of us are your Holy Spirit or your mother. No. But I, as it comes to child rearing, I ha, I see so many parents that start out, they're, they're faithful, and then we miss one or two, and then we miss once a month, and then the next thing you know, then I have a parent who's coming to me because their 19-year-old doesn't take God seriously. And I want so badly to go, well, that's just shocking. Really? So now your child doesn't take God seriously when you haven't taken God seriously for the last 19 years. It, it's been a secondary thing. And so please, please, please make your Christian walk a priority to your kids because that's something that long after— I'm not saying that sports don't have a positive thing. All of my kids have, have been involved in athletics. All of my kids have been involved in extracurricular activities. But you cannot let that be your God. And the enemy's going to try in whatever way he can to worm in, into that. Uh, the best advice I ever got for um, a family devotion was keep keep it short, keep it fun. Yeah, and, and let your kids catch you when you are praying, when you're reading God's Word on your own, when you're not trying to give it to them. Um, some of my—I um, look back now and realize— my mom prayed at night before she went to bed. Before she got in the bed, she would kneel down every night beside her bed, and she would pray, and she would pray out loud. And I can't tell you the number of times that I remember sneaking in the room, you know, either because I didn't sleep good or wanted some water, you know, as a small child. But I heard my mama calling out people's names and praying over them, praying over us as children and over our home. So I, I, I remember hearing that years ago, and uh, not long ago, I apologized to my bigger kids that I realized that in the last few years, um, being here at the church during the week and working during the week and doing things, that I was doing a lot of my devotional work and study time here. 
and that they weren't seeing it. So when I got home, they saw me do all the work around the house, but they weren't always seeing me do other things. And so I've tried to be a little more intentionally letting them catch me reading God's Word, stepping away from the TV, putting the phone down, um, you know, what listening to a sermon while I'm preparing supper, you know, things like that where I want them to see that um, it, it's all the time every day. That, it's, that God is Lord of my life, not just in segments. It's not just at church or not just on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or, you know, whenever it is that you attend your service, that he, he's part of every day and every moment and every part of my life. So one of the things that we, we tried to do for a family devotion was we wanted to read through the Bible with each one of our kids but at an age-appropriate level. So when my kid, when, you know, Emily is two, we're not reading from the King James Bible. She's not going to get anything out of that. And so when she was two, it may be sitting her in my lap, and we're we're, we're using like a little children's, children's Bible, Bible. Mm-hmm. and letting her see the pictures. And we, there was one particular children's Bible that um, had a little red dog that's in all the stories. So it's like the, your standard pictures, Adam and Eve, and there's a little red dog. And the little red, Jesus gets the little red dog. And, it, and the little red dog is never mentioned in the story at all. It's just in the pictures that this little dog is running around. And uh, Emily would always look for the dog. And um, so we always tried to do that. My kids, um, in fact, this last Christmas, I tried to read uh, some stories to to. Ruthie, and she she just wasn't, she's like, this is boring, this is stupid. <laughs> but up until then, we've always tried to, when we put them to bed, I would, they would get in the bed, and I would lay in the floor and read uh, Line the Witch in the Wardrobe, some book to them, and we always tried to, every third or fourth book would be a missionary biography. So we read uh, the the biography of John G. Patton, we read the biography of Amy Carmichael, we read the biography, so that they could see stories of and and I recognized that in fact the purpose of me reading that was so that they would fall asleep. <laughs> yes. Um we were recently visiting the first church that I pastored when and I was at that church when Emily was small um and they were getting rid of their library <laughs> and Emily went and got that copy of the biography of Amy Carmichael and with tears in her eyes she said I'm taking this. Um and as far as I knew at that time, she was hearing t- 10 minutes of me reading for 30 minutes and falling asleep. Again, the purpose of it was so the child would go to sleep. It would calm down and go to sleep. <laughs> but clearly it had an impact in her life. And so I want to say to you guys, don't think that that child is not getting it. Because like Donna said, there'll be times when you're talking to them, they're standing on their head, they're playing with silly putty, they're they're under the table playing with the bolts on the, that hold the table together, and you think in your mind, they're not hearing any of this. I'm wasting my time. This is stupid. They're getting it. They're, they're getting the fact that you're taking that time. They're getting the fact that, um, that this is important enough to you to, you, to do to them. Uh, we had a, a little song that I learned in VBS when I was a kid. I lied to my kids for about 14 years and told them that I wrote the song. Uh, oh, oh, Pastor Tom. <laughs> but it, it's, uh, it, it's a fun, upbeat song, and we sang that every night before we went to bed. Um, and so we tried to make it fun. I, I never wanted to be the parent that said, everybody, shut up, sit down, we're going we're gonna to talk about God. Um, everybody, fold your hands, 
putting playing cards away. You know, be pious. We're gonna we're gonna act like Christians for the next ten minutes. Well, we've talked a couple of times now about routine, and you realize that discipling your child is just incorporating into the routines that you establish for them. Some are gonna have very strict bedtime and routine of supper, bath, you know, bedtime book somewhere in the middle of that. Whatever it is that your routine, find something and make it small. Make it simple. Make it fun. But just put something in there. And when they're little especially, and you, each child is going to be different, they need that routine. I mean, free-range parenting when they're teeny-tiny is not very successful if you want to be happy. I mean, the reason why we had an 830 bedtime. You're not going to make them happy either. Right. But the primary reason we had an 8.30 bedtime is because Ann and I needed 9 to 10. Yes. And so yes. we what we didn't want to do is let our kids crawl over the furniture and be fussy and tired anyway from 9 to 10. So we had a set bedtime, set bath routine, set... And, and and let's not forget that children are children. You're supposed to be training them. You're supposed to be teaching them. You're supposed to put boundaries and guidance on them. When they're very tiny, that's going to be, um, um, I mean, you're going to even help in the selection of friends. Now, as they hit those preschool years and you're wanting them to grow up and build some independence, you're going to let them make some choices like, what their snack is, what their clothes are. You know, you may have two outfits that you approve and you let them pick one. You give them some control, give them some independence. But, you know, as you're, as, you're, as they're growing up, all of these things require your hand on them. They're going to require God's wisdom as part of it. You have to be familiar with God's word. You have to be prepared to pour into them. Now, that does not mean you have a theology degree or you have to, <laughs> you know. There was a lot of times because when my older kids were little I wasn't pastoring I hadn't I didn't hadn't gone to seminary at that point and I remember distinctly a couple of times reading a parable uh, in fact I can think of one specific example there's a parable where Jesus tells the story about a servant who goes um, is bad at his job the his master says I'm gonna fire you and so he goes and steals from his serp, his master he he takes the log books he says come here to one guy he says you owe him like 50 bucks so right here that you paid 20. so now you only owe him 30 bucks but guess who gave you the 20 just remember that and then he goes to the next guy and does the same thing and then Jesus says you're you're expecting Jesus to go now that wicked guy is gonna go to the outer thing but Jesus says the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. So you need to set up for yourself treasures in heaven that moth and rust do not corrupt. Well, I finished the parable, and Emily goes, whoa, what are we supposed to do? With that? I mean, she's like five or six years old. And so I say, well, honey, I want you to think about that tonight <laughs> and tomorrow. We'll talk about the And then we'll that. talk about it yeah. tomorrow night. And so you go on to bed. Let's go. Let's get in the bed, baby. And then I left there and went, you know, online and got a commentary out because I'm like, I ain't got a clue what this is what talking does about. What does this mean? Yes. Has Je is this Jesus lost his mind here for a minute? <laughs> yes. So um, it's it's okay to it's okay to look at your kids and say, I don't know. I don't know. When, as we read Revelation uh, in the, on the other podcast, there's a lot of times where I still say. Oh, well, that's what it says, and I, I'm yeah, not exactly the next sure. Verse is. <laughs> not sure exactly how a locust has a tail like a scorpion. <laughs> yes. um, Abalon, by the way, that's what Abalon. we were trying to think of the other day. Abalon. So, have a routine and include 
daily when they're little. And again, you don't. It doesn't have to be. Uh, you're not whiteboarding, arcing out the the Book of Romans here. No. And I think that sometimes Christians are so overwhelmed by "I want to do it right" that they don't do anything. And and a lot of times I see, especially in in women, and I, and I don't know if it's as prevalent in men, but we want to do it perfectly or we don't do anything at all. That, you know, as moms, I want to be the perfect mom. I want to be adequate. I want to make sure they have everything they need and they're clean and the house is clean and we're all there and we've got to be on time and we've got to have everything together. And if I forgot a diaper at home, then, you know, I feel like I failed. You know, those little things, you know. But if you make it through today and you never once mention the name of Jesus and you don't get Bible verses in today, do not feel yourself a failure. You know what? Go to bed. Get a good night's rest and get up tomorrow and try again. And and recognize that you're going to have days that you're gonna at the end of the day go I can't I can't do this it's overwhelming it's it feels crushing and then there are going to be days that are great and they're going to be and and here's what I, I if I can say anything as a parent who now my kids are all bigger um, the days are long but the years are short yeah those. It, ha- it goes by so fast. It seems like just yesterday I was in the hospital holding this ugly, squirmy little thing. Yeah, but how many times have we been in the midst of a really bad day or a period of time and somebody goes, it's okay, it's going to pass by very quickly. Those are the moments when a mom wants to turn and punch yes. somebody square I- in the I face. I hear you. you know? <laughs> I'm just saying big picture, recognize that this is a phase. This is, this is a, a period of life that's not forever. Yeah. And and to me the the most crushing part of the of those days when when it seemed like all of the kids are in trouble, all of the kids are are, you know, skint knees or all all of those everything's going bad that they're 3, it's going to be 15 years before I can kick them out of the house. 15 years. But the reality is is that 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 time moves really fast. It does. And you're going to have days when you're going to be angry at your children. Um, You know, I I know in conversations with moms, it actually came up again, like I said, today. But it's happened a lot in the past. We've talked about being angry and yelling at our kids. You know, when you just lose all patience. I'm sure your mom has yelled at you at some point, even though I know you're a great kid and everything. But, (laughs) you know, there there are days when you just... You know, you've reached the, how did I have you? And you just don't listen. And you're, I've told you 10 times to quit coloring on the walls. Don't color on the wall again. You know, I've just got the magic eraser and scrubbed the last of one off, you know. And they just keep going. And they'll they'll push your buttons because they're sinners. Uh, I think that um, sometimes in that parenting process, we forget that they are little sinners and that they are learning as they go, that they're trying to grow up, but they are not perfect. Um, I would caution, I always try to caution parents that, that when I'm talking to them, if they if they ever come to me, that it may be cute right now, and you may want to laugh, and you may have to discipline somebody while you're laughing, but discipline starts early, and it has to, because when they're 12 or 14 or 16, there is a lot of that that cannot be corrected. Now, not to say that God, it's something's impossible for God and he can't come in and fill in the gaps and help us do all of that kind of stuff. But, 
you're going to be overwhelmed by that. Another one of those parenting tasks where you're disciplining kids and teaching them and training them in that area. Which is a good segue to next week. We're going to be talking about the toddler years. Um, we're, we're really, the, the idea of discipline is going to, to jump up because there are times when you're going to want to kill them. Um, and uh, I have actually uttered the words, I brought you into this world and I will take you out. Yeah, one of your famous sayings around the church is, I'm not ready to be a parent today. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so um, next week we'll be talking about that. I hope to see you then. This has been Not Another Church Podcast uh, as we talk about parenting, and I look forward to seeing you next week. This has been Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Thanks for listening, and go serve your team.